Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast explores themes of murder and rape. Listener discretion is advised. The words of Eileen Warnos are voiced by an actor. She killed seven men in cold blood. She did not kill in self-defense, but instead was motivated by hatred of men. There's no chance of stairs in keeping me alive or anything because I kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. Seven men murdered. Only six bodies found. From 1989 to 1990, these men fell victim to sex worker Eileen Warnos as she hitchhiked along Florida's highways. Some were just giving a woman in need a ride. Others parted money for sex. But they all paid the price, as picking her up cost them their lives. Was Eileen's murder spree fueled by rage and anger after decades of abuse at the hands of men? What's the real story of this rock-loving biker chick dubbed the Damsel of Death? Over the course of six episodes, we'll speak with detectives, witnesses, and experts to delve into the case of Eileen Warnos, tracking her notoriety as America's first female serial killer, and question if she, too, was a victim. We will also deep dive inside the mind of a monster, hearing Eileen's innermost thoughts and feelings in letters she sent from death row to her best friend, Dawn. I'm criminal psychologist Dr. Michelle Ward, and this is season five of Mind of a Monster, Eileen Warnos. Episode one, Babe in the Woods. After World War II, Americans are experiencing a post-war boom with a stronger, more stable economy. Families have relocated to the leafy green suburbs for a better quality of life, and vacations are popular once again. 41,000 miles of interstate highways have been built across the U.S., opening up the country for all to see. 
But what nobody knows is that these very routes will fuel Eileen's murderous spree. It's Wednesday, February 29, 1956, in Rochester, Michigan. According to legend, leap year babies are lucky. But other superstitions say females born on this date become erratic and unpredictable later in life. Cue the arrival of newborn baby girl Eileen Carol Warnos. Dear Dawn, nearly 38 in nine more days, but I'm really eight this year. It's strange being a leap year child. They say leap years are lucky children. Oh, yeah. What happened to my luck? Bullshit's all I've seen. Crappy world. God, how come? Not fair. Eileen's parents are just teenagers when she's born. Her mom, Diane, is only 16 years old. They've had a volatile relationship, and Eileen never meets her dad, Leo, who's a diagnosed schizophrenic. He's locked up, serving a life sentence for kidnapping and raping a seven-year-old child. In a few years' time, he dies by suicide. As a small child, Leo was abandoned by his parents. And like her father, Eileen is about to lose contact with her only surviving parent. Days before Eileen's fourth birthday, her mom takes her and her older brother Keith to the home of their alcoholic grandparents who live in the nearby town of Troy. But Diane never returns for them. Eileen's grandpa Lori was not only a heavy drinker, but a disciplinarian, beating her regularly with his brown leather belt. Sifting through a serial killer's early years can sometimes unlock an incident that holds the key to the secret of their violent trajectory. But for Eileen, it was a multitude of factors. So to really understand what Eileen went through as a youngster, we need to hear from the best friend she grew up with, who Eileen loved and trusted most. My name is Dawn Bonkins, and I'm a friend of Eileen Warnesses. We went to school in Troy. We used to skip school to get to tell finally we quit. And so we had all day to hang out with each other and do different things that she liked to do. Troy was where we lived. It was a nice place. It was beautiful. It's just people were so judgmental. You and Eileen were only teenagers when you guys became best friends. And in fact, Eileen was badly bullied. Would you say you were her only friend? Well, yeah, she, she would complain that everybody treats her like crap. You know, she said, that's why I, she don't hang out with them. She said, everybody treats me so mean and sickening. So I said, well, let's go find something to do. You know, and not talk about that. She finally had somebody who was accepting her for her. And you guys were friends until the very end. What are your memories of hanging out with Eileen? Oh, she did love that pinball place. We went there a lot because she liked to play pool. When all the other kids were around, she was very quiet because she knew not to start arguing with them and stuff like that. But when it was with her and I, when we skipped school during the day, we was always laughing because it was going to see a movie or a show. She liked to go to the mall shopping. She never got anybody would do that with her. I had fun with her. Dear Dawn, I was a little shy as a kid, but spunky and full of adventure. I'd come across a hot interest that intrigued me so. Music. I fell in love. Dazzled in rock and roll. 
Hendrix, you name it. I was gearing up for a band and school became my favorite thing to attend. But when third grade come along, it would take a turn for the worse, screwing up my joy of going. Well, I went to Smith School, and that's uh, junior high. And then we went to the high school. I hated school, I didn't like it. I just went there for my friends. But she had to go to school. And she was smart anyway, so she made sure she got them good grades for her grandma and grandpa, which she did. She's very intelligent. She did like the music class. In fact, in those days, we had to sing. It was kind of weird. I don't remember participating too much in that, but she did. She loved art because she loved cartoons and working with colors. I know she did not like gym class. She didn't like other kids watching her. <laughs> And living with her grandparents, life didn't really improve for Eileen, did it? No, at first it was good. She sees in the beautiful clothes that she, the grandma would make sure she had for school. Well, her mom, I call her grandma the mom. But she made sure they had the best clothes, her hair always done. The house was always clean. No, she was a good mom. Then the grandpa started drinking. And he didn't just like an odd drink. He was an alcoholic who would get super angry when he was drunk, right? She tried not to be around that man. A couple of kids in her neighborhood actually showed up on court one day. I think that was uh, Chauvin, yeah, it was. She said she saw him beating her through a door because he's so mouthy, wicked. He was starting to drink too much. He was getting mean with his mouth. She was horrible. It's here that Eileen really starts spiraling out of control. But was the path already laid out for her? Dr. Jethro Toomer psychologically evaluated Eileen in custody multiple times. I want to know more about how her formative childhood years impacted her development. Women learn how a man is supposed to treat a woman by observing how a father treats her mother. That's where they learn that from the time she was born, was basically nothing more than a model for vacillation. When you look at her overall history, without some very, very significant, intense, pr profound intervention, uh, you're scarred for life. You're, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna recover unscathed from that kind of a history. And with mental illness running through her family, Eileen could be predisposed to developing schizophrenia like her father. Oh, by all means, because you tend to find that schizophrenia oftentimes runs in families. And so you, I think you'd have to definitely consider that. It's difficult oftentimes to get across in the criminal justice system and to the lay public that Outward behavior is not always an accurate indicator of internal motivation. And in Eileen's case, how did her upbringing contribute to these mental health factors? One thing we know is that there are certain things that are necessary in order to help an individual. Safety, they need stability, uh, they need predictability, sameness, and when those factors are missing, you've got shifting sand there in, as a foundation. 
So when you have an individual who grows up in an environment where they don't have these factors, as they continue to grow, they are dealing with instability, unpredictability, and what have you. And what they need is to know that the person who loves me today will love me tomorrow. The place I'm living today, I'll be living here tomorrow. When that's missing, individuals do not trust their environment, the people around them. And not only that, but their primary focus and energy becomes that of how do I survive from one day to the next? And her environment was very unstable. So on top of any genetic predispositions she might have toward mental illness, she's also been fielding physical and verbal trauma since birth. When we talk about trauma, we aren't talking about isolated trauma. We aren't talking about one-shot trauma. This is persistent. This is repetitive. This is chronic. And so the person's entire life is influenced by this constant exposure to trauma. That has been shown to actually damage the brain. It changes the shape of the brain. There have been a number of studies here in the United States where they take kids who grow up in this type of an environment where there's violence and crime and whatever, and they look at their brains and compare their brain development to that of people from other areas who've not been exposed to this. And the brain is different. One thing, I, I, a question I always ask, what's your first recollection of, uh, of where you lived, your parents, your mother, your father? She said, her mother told her, I tried to abort, but I failed. That was, that was, that was what her mother told her. That's one of the first recollections. At least that's what she indicated to me as her first recollection. I don't recall anybody ever really caring about her except the one woman who came to claim her ashes. And that woman was Don Botkins, Eileen's only friend. Dear Don, once I hit junior high, there went my good old morals. If it wasn't the cigs, it was the booze. If it wasn't the booze, it was drugs. If not all three at once. We'd just get out there and walk on down the boulevard shouting out, acid, pot, you name it, we got. As a teen, Eileen starts having sex with boys for cigarettes and gets involved with drugs. Why didn't anyone of authority, whether it's police or parents of her peers or child services, why didn't anybody step up? Because in those days, they didn't have it like it is now, and Amber Alerts and stuff like that. And they didn't pay too much attention to other kids and stuff like that. They always said, stick to your own family. Don't tell the family secrets and stuff like that, especially if anything's embarrassing. It was not like nowadays, that's for sure. And things were only going to get worse for Eileen. So do you think if she had had help as a child and had a stable family life, would things have turned out differently for her? It would have been way different if somebody would have taken the time to do that, but they just wouldn't. She would never have killed anybody if she started getting help as a child. (laughs) 
The kids in Troy often ride their bikes down to the woods, known locally as the pits, starting bonfires and hanging out after school. Eileen goes along, hoping to fit in, but she is never included. Instead, the boys keep using Eileen for sexual favors. This is a young child we're talking about here. She's 14 years old. Some of those same kids judged Eileen for being sexually active. They'd bully her, mock her, and call her the cigarette peg or cigarette whore. She isn't welcome at parties either. You say, you're nothing but a whore and stuff like that. That's just the boys, they were like that. The girls never said much. They just didn't talk to her. She hated that. After a while, I mean, she would drink too much or they, somebody in there would drink too much and start accusing her of something, call her names, always called her names. And she would get so defensive, She they usually beat her up and threw her out of the party. I'm not kidding, they just kicked her right out and slammed the door shut. And so I was sitting there with all my other friends. I says, I gotta go now. And they said, well, what, what, what do you mean you gotta go? I said, they just threw her out in the snow after they beat her up. I'm gonna take her to my house so she can warm up. Thanks a lot, guys. And I left. And just we went back to my mom's house. Can't believe they kicked her out of the party that she was so happy to be participating in. But they wouldn't even let that happen. That's horrible, isn't it? Eileen soon realizes her body can get her more than just a pack of cigarettes. She starts offering sexual favors in exchange for cold, hard cash. With a childhood like Eileen's, fraught with abandonment and neglect, it's no wonder she accepts this mistreatment from others. She might not even recognize it as abuse. Furthermore, there's some early indications of a burgeoning personality disorder in Eileen, which is expected given the neglect in her family history of mental illness. I'm not at all surprised that she would struggle with boundaries and self-worth. Dr. Tasha Jackson is based in San Francisco and is an expert on childhood trauma. I want to get her thoughts on Eileen. My name is Tasha Jackson, and I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I specialize in relationships, relationship breakups, and trauma. You just hit our first point right out of the gate. I want to talk to you about childhood trauma and the psychological damage associated with it and how that could lead to criminal behavior. I mean, the amount of trauma this woman has been under is just enormous. Um, and the trauma response can be very individual, but it can have a hypervigilance. It can be hyperarousal in the body. The brain is developing from, you know, very early on, and the neuroplasticity is more so when you're younger, all the way up to 25. And so those times I think about, it's like feed your mental health better in those times because the wiring is just forming. And of course, we have neuroplasticity all through our life, but even more so at that younger age. So having trauma, it sets in, it can just let the body just go on this high alert, kind of like a threat response in many ways. And so I look at this, you know, Wuornos in a way of going, oh my God, just from very young, she had these threats being put to her. And what even just in her body did that create versus even the lens she started to see with her thoughts and feelings. You mentioned the hypervigilance that if you're, if you're in a constant state of hypervigilance, your body is being flooded with adrenaline and cortisol, and that in and of itself is bad for you. Absolutely. You're flooded with all these hormones. And I think with her that it was super interesting is you have the um, neglect 
And I think that can be overlooked with trauma of how much um, invalidation neglect is. But also, four years old and abandoned by your own mother, well, you've already been abandoned another way by your father. And that abandonment, you know, how can you even put words to that? In many ways, I look at her going, she's really resilient. How does she keep functioning through all of these different traumas? There is the obvious physical uh, abuse from her grandfather, the sexual abuse, but also this neglect that happened individually by certain people in her life and collectively by her environment. I love the perspective that you're adding to this because I had not looked at her as resilient. I looked at her as a survivor. And you mentioned something else, um, Tasha, that I hadn't thought about in a long time and I had not thought about in this case until recently. Early maternal rejection has now been well replicated as a risk factor for future violence. The research is a little complicated, but essentially they noticed that there were other risk factors usually associated, but there was something if you add early maternal rejection, the chances of becoming criminal later bumped up quite quite a high effect size. They attribute it to many things, but a lot of it is just neuronal development, just brain development and how important it that, you know, attachment to at least one caregiver. And it becomes even worse if that child is institutionalized for any period of time. We'll see the effect grow. But you're right, that specific maternal rejection is not inconsequential. Absolutely. We need one attachment figure that's healthy and secure continually. And if you look at her of the rejection from before four, right? Like, whoa, that self-concept. When we have a lot of trauma before the age seven or 11, really in particular, you turn inward that it's your fault. But here you go, your rejection from mother, and she goes on to her grandmother, right? And how present is she really? You know, if she's an alcoholic, how emotionally is she doing that emotional bit? But it seems like it was reported that it was a healthy, you know, the healthiest connection she's had, and it's that more maternal place. As much as this case is, okay, men are physically abusing her, women have left her. And so there is abandonment in that form. By the time Eileen reaches her teens, her relationship with her abusive grandpa is non-existent, and Eileen's grandma has now fallen ill, her alcoholism leaving her incapacitated with serious liver issues. Eileen's life is spiraling, and it's about to get even worse. Soon, Eileen is being raped on a regular basis. Dear Dawn, I found myself tied to a bed, spread eagle. Once I woke, was gang raped. I'd run into at least three of these brutal attacks, age 13. Animals. Then sadly, I was running into this with those I knew at parties from high school and other towns, solely taking advantage of me because I was drunk, stoned, and defenseless. But soon, it isn't just the local boys taking advantage of her. One rape would change her life in ways she couldn't imagine. The last to come, which hindered any more, well, for a while, would be from a ride I got after sneaking out to party. 
And this one would get me pregnant at 14. Actually, he was an older man, didn't have a wife or anything, but he would let the kids in her neighborhood, all the kids, come over and party at his house that night. They all had to be out of there at a certain time because they had to be home for school. And so they all left one night, but Eileen was too drunk to leave, and that's when everything happened. He kept her there and raped her. You know, she probably was passed out, had no nothing of knowledge of it, probably. Who knows? And so since he raped her, she got pregnant. How old was he? He was in his 60s then. So he was an older man. He's no longer here. Wow. So he's in his 60s, and she's just 14. Yeah. Was this a big deal locally at the time, Eileen being pregnant? Oh, yeah. Once it got out, it got up to all the kids in that neighborhood. And they're nasty when it comes to treating each other good. They say the evil is bad things. It's just horrible. But they just put her down so much, she just... There's no getting away from it. It was tough. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. If you're looking for a little extra peace of mind, you might want to check out Simply Safe. Simply Safe was kind enough to send me a home protection system to try out, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to set up. Not only that, I'm kind of a gear nerd, and I was really impressed by how clear the camera was. I also love the smart lock keyless entry because there are a lot of things to remember each day, and my keys aren't always on that list, okay? 
Not only that, Simply Safe offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, and U.S. News & World Report awarded them the best home security systems of 2024. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have that too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/mindofamonster. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We need a minute here. Let's just sit back and recap what Eileen has gone through so far. She's only 14, but has already experienced abandonment, loss of a parent to suicide who she's never met, dealt with the knowledge that her father is a child rapist, endured physical and verbal abuse from her alcoholic grandpa, she's being bullied at school, she's doing drugs, she's drinking, having sex, being raped, and is now pregnant raped by a man old enough to be her grandfather. That's more collective trauma than any of us will ever experience or even hear about in our whole lives. And right now, she's still a kid. But despite all of this, no adult authority steps in to intervene. Dr. Jackson, this is an extreme case, but given all these factors, is it inevitable that Eileen turned out the way that she did? I, I I know this sounds crazy, but no. It's an unknown. She has a family history, right, of bipolar and schizophrenia. And usually that does not show itself until the 20s. And so was this like a landmine that wasn't even, the, the little thing wasn't even pulled yet to go off. So here you have this other part where her body is already has the stress hormones and trauma building and she's got a lens of abandonment, a lens of not people being there. Um, her neuro circuit's just on a different wavelength at this point. So um, I don't necessarily know if it was a setup just from the trauma, because people can recover. And at 14, that's a primal spot someone could have come in. And nobody was hearing her calls for help, though, because I don't think necessarily she was a volcano that suddenly exploded. I think she was more like an earthquake, and she was setting off set of little tremors here. But she was affecting herself more than others. She could be just this powder keg ready to explode, and that's going to show up later. I mean, that, I mean, she might have had some prodromal schizophrenia signs, but we don't have any evidence of it. That's, that could show up later. But what you're telling me is that even despite this, despite all these risk factors, she could either have genetic protective factors that could have stepped in and, and helped with her being resilient and perhaps led her to a better path. But if a human, any human, had popped in, even in the teenage years, she could have been nudged off of this deadly path. Absolutely, yeah. And at the same time, it's like I there's this thread that as a society we discount this drinking and drug use. I mean, it's numbing. It's stopping the brain development, like all this stuff. It's just fire to all this, whether it be, you know, the genetics or the environment. And then we kind of just write it off. Oh, yeah, she's drinking, numbing the pain. But it's playing in her neurodevelopment. It's playing with her coping skills. I mean, and I I think most of us hear this, her heart popping out. Of course, not, you know, how is she going to soothe from this pain? I would be drinking too. You know, just 
but it is a big factor in somebody who has impulsivity. Did anything jump out for you in terms of the trajectory of her mental health from childhood to becoming a serial killer? Yes. So I felt that she had, from early childhood, she was calling for help, right? Like three years old, like anger issues. Kind of like, why didn't anybody step in, right? Um, and as you can see it, she is calling out for help in different forms. A lot of her anger goes outward. So she might not have really recognized the level of abuse she had suffered until she makes that switch from internalizing it to misbehaving externally and you know starting to kill people. And then she's like, damn it, I, I was wronged. The typical part of somebody who is antisocial psychopath, right? You see some of these things of like, she wasn't fire starting. She wasn't killing animals. She wasn't like, sh you know, shooting. She wasn't acting violent at others when she was younger. She was hurting herself in so many different forms. And then something switched. And she didn't necessarily, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, like even when she did get angry and take her anger outward onto others, it was very specific. Mm, it was. It was men. It was very specific to men in a specific category of, you know, feeling raped or taken advantage of during sex work. It's March 1971, and outside it's freezing cold. Eileen is in Detroit, 25 miles south of Troy. She is alone, inside a home for unwed mothers, waiting to give birth to her baby. Her grandpa has just kicked her out after finding out she's pregnant. Her grandma is too unwell to support her, but Eileen has no idea just how ill she really is. On Tuesday, March 23rd, Eileen gives birth. Dear Dawn, when I was 14 and stuck in an unwed home, it was snowing outside. Only wish I could watch it come down now. I sure do miss its feel and touch. I hope there's a little in heaven. Boy, that kid was huge. The stretch marks from him racked my bod. Wound up naming him Keith in honor of my wonderful brother. But Eileen never gets to see or hold her baby. He is taken away from her the second she gives birth and is put up for adoption. Eileen's grandma spends time with her in the unwed mother's home and is the only person to visit, much to her grandpa's disapproval. But just months later, her beloved grandma dies from liver failure after years of hitting the bottle. She was the angel of the family. And I had no idea she'd been so sick for years. But she kept it all a secret, as I may have more than likely heightened her death with my craziness, so I felt incredibly guilty. I became crushed to the max, missing her beyond words. Grandpa wouldn't have nothing to do with Eileen, wanted her out of the house, and then Grandma died which really blew his mind, I'm sure. But he totally blamed that on Eileen, too. That's the one person she would write that she loved so much. So her grandma was always there, coloring with her, doing anything with her. She was a good grandma, apparently. 
And that's when Grandpa went nuts and just started drinking too much and kicked them all out. With the death of Eileen's grandma and the baby being born, Grandpa Lori is angry and grieving. He kicks out Eileen, and she is alone, homeless. No local families will take her in, so she heads down to the local woods, the pits, to make shelter, trying to find a way to eat and bathe. Anything to avoid her grandpa. The man was turning himself into a wreck, into a manic depressive, causing all of us to want to run. And that we did. I wound up in the woods, homeless. It was a mess. A literal hell. Stuck out there in the cold rain and snow, struggling to survive. I'd pray I'd keep from catching anything as simple as a cold. Only to get my butt up the next morning, bathing in the lake, ready for school. How did Eileen cope in the woods? Well, she liked being very clean, that's for sure. And living out in the woods and swimming in the cold isn't going to keep you clean. But she would go into the gas stations and um, wash her hair because she was nuts on having her hair always brushed, always washed, always clean. And she would wash her clothes out and stuff like that. But none of the kids would hang, I mean, let her come in the homes. But none of the mothers trusted Eileen. You know, and stuff like that, because they heard about her having a baby and all that stuff. There was a rich house who also had, like, 13, I'll say, abandoned cars. And so every so often, she would sneak in their yard, and she would sleep in their cars. She just learned how to survive the only way she could. And this need to survive, needing food, shelter, just basic essentials, is that what kick-started her sex work, do you think? Yep. That's the only thing that kept her in it. Because she had to eat. She did smoke. Some of the guys would actually rent a motel, but they, you know, when they were done, they would say, you can stay here for the night. She would have room for the night, and she would get to take a shower and do extra stuff, just spend the time with herself, maybe order a pizza. It must have been so hard for her. Did she ever confide in you about how she felt? No, she really didn't, because I made sure I didn't bring up anything of why you prostitute or had a baby or bring up the kids in the neighborhood or her mom. Or no, we just talked about whatever we was doing. Thanksgiving, she'd come over to my house because nobody would invite her in the house. She knows she didn't do nothing wrong. Somebody talked to her, they all started calling names, the boys treated her like crap, all her friends. It was just awful. Her mom, dad, grandpa, local kids, and the older guy who raped and impregnated her. Just a few of the people who either abandoned or abused Eileen. It's 1972. Eileen is a high school dropout. A 16-year-old with no home, no support, no family unit. She needs a roof over her head and food on her plate. Sex work and hitchhiking brings in a bit of money, but I want to know how someone who suffers so much trauma being raped regularly can comprehend having sex for money. Surely that's got to be a huge trigger. I want to hear Dr. Tasha Jackson's thoughts on this. She has all this trauma around sexual you know, rape and physically abused, and then she continues. But I look at Maslow's hierarchy, and she's just trying to get fed. And so what she knows to get money 
is to do sex work. And so we could go down a psychological rabbit hole, which I will next, but it could just be as basic as she just needs food. And this is how she knows how to get food. She doesn't have to go and get rejected from a job. Then there is what can happen with trauma sometimes is we put ourselves back into the same situation over again. And often this can be someone trying to fix and heal from that old trauma. She's putting herself back into this place of like, okay, well, maybe men are okay. Maybe they are this place of they can be good at times. I hadn't thought about maybe the sex work being good for her. I mean, not ultimately, but it does make her feel a little bit better because for that moment in time, she's actually wanted. You know, a lot of trauma victims who've had sexual um, assault, they feel really guilty for getting some pleasure out of it at some point. I know that's really horrific to talk about, but there is a place of pleasing a person. When we're really young children, we like to please. It's programmed in us. And so then it gets really complicated when we get violated, but at the same time we get that sense of pleasure from another person. And it just gets really confusing. And that's when a lot of people have this sexual trauma and then feel really guilty and shame because they're like, okay, at what level did I play a role in this? And then just sit with just not being able to be able to talk about it or recover from it. Just, it adds a big complexity to it. And we know that Eileen had a huge want to please and be wanted. And sex work is a way for her to feel a sense of control and being needed, something she had none of her entire childhood. When I was reading about her saying that she did sexual favors for food and belonging when she was younger, she had that sense of belonging through this. So as much as we look at, you know, I don't know what her take is on sex, but there is a place that it's your body being connected to another human being. And it's that part of, okay, we can have some connection. It may not be a great connection, but she had no connections. So was she taking something that was really awful as something, as a sliver of it to feel good? Um, I don't know. There's all these possibilities. So was it just for food? Was it replicating trauma again to heal from it? Or was she potentially, this is a sense of belonging and she had nothing else. In the next episode, we're hitchhiking to warmer climates, Florida's Gold Coast, where Eileen is engaging in sex work and descending into further chaos. But little does she know that the very highways on which she's picking up men will soon take Eileen on her own journey to hell as America's first female serial killer. Mind of a Monster, Eileen Warnos is produced by Arrow Media for ID. The executive producer for ID is Jessica Lowther. Arrow Media's producer is Harriet Mortar. Our editor is Sirkan Nihat. Audio engineering is by Mahoney Audio Post. Our line producer is Philippa Whittle. Our production manager is Alexandra Kelly. Our junior production manager is Joni Tanner Wild. Our production coordinator is Shannon Tunicliffe. Our assistant producer is Isabel Wilson. And our archive producer is Katia Long. Arrow Media series producer is Gabrielle Nash. And executive producer is Stuart Pender. Eileen Warnos is played by Vicki Thorne. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Ward. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.